This podcast is sponsored by Reformation Heritage Books and the new release by author Jonathan Landry Cruz, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. There's more at heritagebooks.org and at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. Here, as always, with my friend and co-host, Reverend Todd Pruitt, a pastor in the PCA and uh, minister at uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Good to be with you again, Todd. Good to be with you, Carl. Now, I noticed that um, you almost forgot where you are and what you do. Yeah, you, I did. You, you hesitated a, for a minute there. I, I did. It's partly because, you know, it's getting towards the end of the term. The old brain is a bit worn out after the year of teaching. So, yeah, and I'm getting old as well. I feel I might be slowly but surely slipping into the mists of... You You are uh, getting old. In fact, you and I have just had birthdays recently. As we record this, just last month, you and I both turned 55. We did. We did. And that's, that's very strange to think about. I mean, being over half a century old, that's really strange, isn't it? Yeah. My mum finds it even stranger to think that she actually sure. gave birth to me 55 years mm-hmm. ago. Because, of course, as, as all men discover as they grow older, you are permanently 13 years old in your mother's right. imagination. This is true. Certainly in the way that my mother relates to me. That's so, I have the same uh, story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in reality, Carl, you're you're kind of knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, aren't you? I mean, I feel fine, but you don't look too good. I, I'm a bit of a wreck, actually. Uh, oh. You know, if, if I can make it to the end of this podcast, I will consider okay. myself blessed. Well, that's good. well, I just want to appeal to our to our listeners to encourage Carl's. If you haven't sent him a birthday card, I know that that would cheer him up uh, quite a bit. You know what he's like. You know how these English people are. They are just um, uh, heavy-duty feelers, very emotional kind of people. And uh, Carl likes any kind of warm sympathies extended uh, to him. So um, the one thing I miss about the the end of COVID is uh, people have started trying to hug me again. <laughs> uh, I find that rather disturbing. <laughs> I, you know, l- listen, I I'm comfortable with hugs. I'm from Texas. We prefer handshakes, but we will hug if 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 required. If so that's all good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Carl, we've got a great guest with us today. Please introduce. We have indeed, and this is a guest. We've been trying to get hold of this person for quite some time uh, because the topic she talks on continues to be a real hot-button topic. She is an authority on it. She is a delightful person. Uh, I'm honored to call her a friend. Uh, She actually refers to my wife and myself as her honorary aunt and uncle, I think she grandparents would, would be would be more uh, suitable. Watch but. it. Uh, I've already forgiven you 70 times seven today. <laughs> I'm not obliged to forgive you one more time. <laughs> no, but I guess today is Monique Dusson, who is the founder and works for the Center for Biblical Unity, where she is a racial unity advocate. 
you would have to have just arrived from another planet, having been away for a decade, not to think that the issue of race is a hot button one in the West in general today and in America in particular. And is uh, maybe, maybe it's, it's putting this rather strongly, but tearing churches apart and tearing friendships apart, even within the Christian world. Monique is an important voice in that conversation. And so it's a real pleasure to have her with us today. Monique, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a great delight. You, yes, you guys are my aunt and uncle. <laughs> so get yeah. this i so a while back monique you and and carl were speaking at the same event hosted by mm-hmm. the, uh, the the colson center yeah. and so carl started texting me during your address he was going oh man you've got to hear this oh man like he texted me like three times during i really your, use the phrase oh man I, I something like that i mean <laughs> like he was like he, he was like slipping into uh you know, a uh, 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 fan mode at this point. But in all seriousness, it, it's not often uh, when Carl hears an address and texts me or something like that and said, man, you've got to hear this. But he, he did during your um, address. And, and, and I think in part because of the clarity that you brought to the issue, the biblical clarity you brought, brought to the issue. And I would encourage our folks, they can find you on, on Facebook at, at the Center for Biblical Unity and mm-hmm. um, uh, they can start getting acquainted. Yeah. yeah. Well, Monique, why don't you tell us something about your background? You weren't always at the Center for Biblical Unity. You spent no. some time, I think, in South Africa. What was the work you were doing in South Africa? Yes. Yeah, so in South Africa, I um, I spent four and a half years there and I was doing leadership, a lot of leadership development, but through the, the vein of um, mental health work. So I worked with a lot of students who had experienced trauma, a lot of their families and teachers who experienced trauma. I worked in an area known as the Cape Flats, which is just outside of Cape Town proper. And it's an extremely impoverished area, an area that's filled with gangs, drugs and violence. I had many kids who had, you know, witnessed people die or who were born addicted to drugs or who were, you know, a part of the gang life themselves, even in like third and fourth grade. And so I spent four and a half years there doing that. I went originally to teach dance and to do um, a bit of dance therapy, but the Lord kind of shifted all of that around and ended up working, doing a lot of one-on-one work with kids, teachers, and families. And I um, had volunteers come over from the States quite often, um, different university students to be able to do internships and things like that. So, yeah. So it'd be fair to say you have social justice cred coming out of your fingertips in many ways. You've been, you've been in the slums of South Africa and you've yes. had... I um I grew up, my mom raised me to be very justice oriented. And I think even without a lot of her influence, like that's just the way that God has made me. I'm very, you know, I, at the time I would have said social justice oriented, but my heart just bends toward justice. And so I've done work in South Africa, in Zambia, in Haiti. I have a ton of experience in social service here working with youth and group homes, but then also in homeless services and homeless service management. So yeah, I mean, my only, aside from a small stint when I was a teenager working at Universal Studios, I've only worked in social service. So what made, what made the difference? You are not known as a social justice warrior today. The Center for Biblical Unity, in fact, 
kind of presents itself as a, something of a contrast to yeah. the dominant way in which, for example, the race, the racial justice issue is being talked about. Before I hand over to Todd here, what what made the difference? Was it a Damascus Road experience or did you slowly but surely shift on the issue as, as various factors came into play in your life and experience? Well, the Center for Biblical Unity isn't just me. It's actually my ministry partner and co-founder, Krista Bontrager. And so before we started CFBU, we were having arguments and trying to figure out, like, what is it about this racial component? Like, how do we um, how do we get to a place where we can both agree? I saw her as an oppressor. I saw her as racist. Um, I was upholding a critical theory or critical race theory worldview. And so when we first met and started having some of these conversations, she was just like, I don't understand where this is coming from. We both went to Biola. She actually has two master's degrees in theology from Talbot. And she would approach me from a historically biblical, historically Christian lens and ask me things like, well, where do you find this in the scripture? <laughs> like, you know, Micah 6 eight isn't really saying what you're claiming that it's saying. And so we would go back and forth and I would search and like look in the scripture and see, okay, is she right? Is she wrong? And through a lot of that, through a lot of prayer, I realized that the worldview that I was upholding wasn't truly a biblical worldview that I knew some scriptures, but I would prop those scriptures up to, um, as Krista would say, do a lot of heavy lifting for, you know, my position to um, support abortion. And um, like my so my my position of supporting LGBTQ plus initiatives and rights and things like that, I could look into scripture and say, well, Micah 6, 8 or um, there's a verse that says, like, choose now, you know, who you're going to serve. And I would say, well, you know, if if the scriptures tell us to choose, well, then surely we should have choice in those things and never look at things like abortion from a manner of murder. And the human person that is alive inside of the womb. So I was just, I was really challenged. And eventually the Lord just really put it on my heart that one, I was upholding partiality or racism in my heart. And that my idea of justice was not God's idea of justice. And so I really had to thread through the scriptures to see what is God's um, standard for justice. If God is just, if um, justice is the foundation of his throne, like his very nature is a just God, then I have to um, participate in justice according to his standards, not my own. Yeah. And that began the road. That has to be a challenging shift. I mean, as I think about I mean, I've in the past gone through major, major theological kind of worldview shifts and, you know, over, you know, it's taken a period of years in the past and that kind of, that kind of thing is, is painful. I would imagine did wrestling through this thing cost you friendships? What, you know, what did that look like? Yeah. So this, I moved home from South Africa in 2018 and the Lord really began to start challenging me about nine months after I had been home. And so leaving South Africa and getting reacclimated into the States and all of that after being abroad. And now here I am in the beginnings of this worldview or paradigm shift. Everything seemed like just uneasy. I wasn't sure what I believed. Um, 
what I believed about myself, about black people, about white people, what I believed about God, about justice. There was so, there were so many questions. And then um, I think when I started CFBU, another, another component to my starting CFBU was the idea of family and seeing so many of my white brothers and sisters come under this scrutiny or be like, cuss that on social media and things like that because they bore white skin mm-hmm. you know if like you give an opinion and then you know and you're white it was just fuel in 2020 for someone to berate a white person and in prayer it was like you know if if we truly are all family will you defend all of the family or will you only defend the family that looks like you I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and I grew up fighting, like not afraid to have a fight. Like that's just just part of who I am. Um, And I remembered um, and struggled through like the idea of if my brothers and sisters and I would walk to the store. Part of my mom's prep talk to us before we left was that if somebody bothers you, you all are supposed to fight and jump in. Now, I'm not calling Christians to, you know, throw hands or to, you know, start fighting and things like that. But what I am saying is, how do you defend all of your family? Mm. There is no difference between you two because you're white than there is between me, according to the scriptures. Mm. We are brothers and sisters. And so if, if I see one of my brothers or sisters in trouble or in error or, you know, whatever, if I need to come to their defense, I come to their defense because they're my family. I don't, I don't vault skin color to the top as my arbiter between do I, or do I not defend? In in the work you're doing um, through center for biblical unity. um, I I know that one of the things that, that, that you really challenge people to think about is what Christ has done to do just exactly what you've described, you know, how he's, he's made us family, that, that unity is more than just wishful thinking or an aspiration though. I mean, there's, there is an aspirational element to it, but you've, you dig into that more deeply than that and, and have really challenged people to think about the objective nature of what Christ has accomplished to make us one. I wonder if you'd unpack that for just a moment. Yeah. Our unity is a reality. Part of of what we're seeing in culture right now is this idea that we have black, you know, Christians and um, the black church or white evangelicalism and we're separate. Or there's a call for white people in white evangelical churches to be multi-ethnic and to do the work of anti-racism and all these things. But in scripture, what I see, what I find when I dig in there is that Christ has done the work to reconcile us. And so we must live from that place of unity and move forward. When we look into John 17, um, I believe it's around verse 21, 23, somewhere in there, um, Jesus is praying for the, the, his followers, for those of us that will come after. And he prays and he says, I've given them what they need. For, for unity, like he's given us what we need. He's given us the glory. I believe the, the actual word is that he's given us the glory. And that term glory, as I've read through John, and especially in the first parts of John, I believe um, it's synonymous with the Holy Spirit, that he's, we have the Holy Spirit. He's given us what we need for unity. But the, the reason that he's given us our unity and the power of our unity is so that others would know, the world would know that God sent Jesus and that God loves us. Our unity is um, 
something that is tangible. It's something that that we've been given the power for so that we can use it as an evangelistic tool. It's a public witness. Yeah. Yes. Now, when we look at um, the reconciliation of believers one to another, we can look at 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is not the ministry of racial reconciliation. It's the ministry of reconciling sinful hearts to a holy God. So that's the one, the ministry of reconciliation. But when we look at um, Ephesians, what we see is that as our hearts are reconciled to God, we are brought into the household of faith. We are adopted according to his good pleasure and made brothers and sisters. This is um, first seen in John 1, where it says to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we are children of God, what more reconciling is there that needs to happen? When my brother and I are my sisters and I, we, and we have special relationships, you know, like when we are in disagreement or there's some discord, I don't say, well, you're no longer my sister, or you need to go and do all of these works. And so, so that you can be brought back into the flock to be my sister. That is not the way family works. Now, do I need to have, can, do I need to have a hard conversation potentially? Sure. But that doesn't mean that we are not ontologically reconciled, that we are not ontologically unified. Mm -hmm. And we see the, the work, so to speak, that that must be done to maintain our unity. I think that's another part of it is that Paul says, um, maintain the unity or mm-hmm. keep the unity in Ephesians four. Well, how can you maintain something you don't have? How yeah. can you keep something that hasn't been given to you? That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Yeah. If we're going to maintain our unity because we've been brought into the household of faith, Ephesians four tells us what we need to do. And it's not just a work for white people. It's not just a work for black people. It's mm-hmm. not just a work for certain ethnic groups. It's something we all participate in because we are all part of the family of God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, how I reckon through it. Yeah, that's good. If I were to ask you, Monique, to, to comment on critical race theory, now it's a complicated subject. Not all critical race theorists agree with each other. The, there's a sort of set of family resemblances, we might say, that, that bind critical race theorists together. What would you say, though, to people listening who, you know, this is all they hear relative to the race issue in, in the church? Why would you say that critical race theory is problematic for a Christian? to adopt uh, in order to address the race issue? And are there any elements of critical race theory that are worthwhile adopting that you you can't get better elsewhere, shall we say? Well, um, gosh, when it comes to critical race theory, I think that there are, there, there is something that I can agree with in saying that race is a social construct that it, it's not like something we find in scripture. It, it, that the concept is man-made and um, was created for certain purposes and things like that. So I do agree that race is a social construct. I also agree that we can be concerned about racism. Like it's not wrong to be concerned right. about racism, but we should be concerned about racism or the sin of partiality for all people, not just for black and brown people. All people can be impacted by partiality, hatred, slander. These are the things that go into what we today call racism. 
So I can say that there's there's a mode of, of agreement or a thought, like an idea of agreement in that. Where it becomes divisive is how it pits people against each other, number one, or it keeps us in our ethnic and racial categories. And so as we are in our ethnic or racial categories, there's really no, no room to, to shift, to move over. When you are in your category, there are certain labels that are automatically assumed or put on a certain group of people. But we don't participate like that as Christians. As Christians, we understand that there is neither slave nor free barbarian or Scythian. We see that in the scripture. And so I am not confined now that I am in the kingdom mentality and in the culture of Christ. I am not confined by these regimented, um, not just worldviews, but these regimented terms of who I am. When I come into Christ, my identity as being a black woman, that takes second seat. I am first a child of God who was born as a woman. I'm, a, I'm born female and I happen to bear black skin. It, it turns upside down a lot of the conversation that we're hearing right now that says you are your ethnicity first. Your primary identity is in your ethnicity or skin color. That is not true according to scripture. It just continues to build a divide by putting us yeah. in these categories. Do you find that your views are universally popular or do you get a bit of heat? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, they're not very popular. Um, and it, it, what, what I find sad is that it's not like culture is going to cult. Culture is not going to agree with the scriptures. But what I find sad is that even though these views and like I'm doing my best really to you know make sure that it's not my opinion or things like that, that this is really the word of God first. Um, but people sometimes choose the culture over the kingdom, mm. the, the mandates of the culture over the words of the scripture. I can't go to culture to find out how I'm supposed to treat my brother yeah. or how I'm supposed to live my life according to, to godliness. This is the, the mandate that comes from scripture, how to treat one another, how to live a godly life. Those are, that's what I find in Christ, but it, it isn't a very popular message all the time. Yeah. Are there, are there sources of encouragement for you right now? I mean, I know that, I mean, be, because you have in this ministry you know, stepped into a very controversial issue, which obviously you get a lot of pushback on from some folks. Where are you seeing, if any, you know, areas that are that are giving you some encouragement, if that makes sense? Gosh, people write in all the time mm -hmm. and they they talk about their journey. So mm -hmm. there, we have many um, older people, older parents who write in and say, you know, my kids canceled me because they say I'm racist or mm -hmm. I'm sexist or I don't uphold LGBTQ plus and, you mm -hmm. know, all of those things. And so the, they come to CFBU, though, like on our Facebook page or our Insta page. And they say, you know, I found family here. I found like-minded people here. We have different groups for different things, different Facebook groups. So we have one for parents who have been canceled or who, whose kids have walked away from the faith in pursuit of the social justice narrative or who have deconstructed completely. Yeah. Um, we have a group for educators who are trying to navigate the waters of diversity, equity, and inclusion and critical race theory and all of that. And we have another group for families who are blended, who, you know, may have adopted children from other cultures and now find that they're being accused of whiteness or colonization and all of that. 
And so people come to us and, and they find camaraderie, they find support. And that's what it's meant to be as a family. It's not meant to, you know, just berate one another and shame one another. How do we support one another and live according to Ephesians 4? I'm not afraid to call someone out on sin. You know, like if you're in sin, you're in sin. And we can we can have that conversation. It's not to shame you. But as Jude says, you know, there are there are ways in which we approach people on their sin. But people also write in and be like, Mo, you were out of pocket on this or, you know, Mo, I don't I don't really know that I agree with you. Have you checked out that scripture over here? It's Mm -hmm. about maintaining a posture of family. I really believe that God is calling his body to come together as family. Mm -hmm. It's really uh, refreshing to hear. And I. I would just encourage our listeners to um, to check out their Facebook communities as well as uh, the Center for Biblical Unity for, for on their website as well. Um, one of the things that if you'll go to the Mortification of Spin site, mortificationofspin.org, you'll be able to find a link that will uh, make you eligible to win um, some curriculum that uh, CFBU has produced. Man, it'd be great to plug into a Sunday school class, small group, that kind of thing. To help churches think through this and process this and walk through this together. Um, uh, this is an issue that has torn apart families. It's torn apart churches. And we're glad and thankful that CFBU is, is seeing it, its role in finding a place and stepping into that gap and pleading for the divisions to, um, to come to an end and find unity in Christ. So our, our guest today has been Monique Dusan, and uh, she's doing great work. If you've if you've read, um, we've had a past guest, Thaddeus Williams. If you read if you've read his book um, on um, on justice, uh, you'll find um, uh, a couple of pages in there uh, written by Monique, just her story. And so, some of you have already long been familiar with uh, with, with our guest, but she writes uh, something very moving in in uh, Thaddeus' book. And I know, Monique, you've, you've done um, some some speaking gigs with, with Thaddeus, haven't you? And, yeah, and well, you probably we, have a connection through Biola as well, I, I would imagine. He's too. actually on the board of CFBU. And oh, okay. we, um, we were just in Alaska together yeah. in October. And then we just spoke together at the Maven conference in gosh, maybe four weeks ago. It's been about a month. Mm-hmm. And those are actually my arms on the cover of his book. Okay, excellent. Yes. <laughs> now yes. we know that. That's very good. You're an arm model. Yes, it's my point of fame. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, these are folks that are doing great work in this area, and I have been so encouraged. I, I have directed so many people to the CFBU side. I've directed so many people to, to Thaddeus Williams' book, Carl and I both have. And th- these are folks that are doing some of the best work in this area, and we, we continue to commend it. So if you'll go to our site, mortificationofspin.org, enter to win um, a copy of this wonderful curriculum. If you get that, then you're going to be given a code to access that and, and to receive that material. But we'd encourage you to do that. Uh, regardless, though, go to their Facebook pages, go to their website, and yes. begin to familiarize yourself with, um, with what they make available. And I think you're going to be really encouraged. It's going to help equip you. If you're struggling to have these hard conversations in your family, they will have ways to help encourage you. Again, these, these Facebook communities, they've got such a great easily accessible way to be encouraged in those areas. So, so please take advantage of that. And uh, Monique, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. Great. Well, listen to our, uh, to our listeners. Thank you for the time. We know that you've enjoyed this discussion and we look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. Some may come and some may go. He will surely be. 
When the one that left us yet Returns for us at last We are but a moment of sunlight Fading in the grass Come on people now Smile on your brother Everybody get together Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Identity. It's a word we hear quite often these days. Seems like people are having a harder time than ever figuring out just who they are. Could they be searching in the wrong places? Author Jonathan Landry Cruz offers a fresh and truly radical answer to the important question of who you are in his new book, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. If you're seeking your identity in relationships, career, gender expression, or some other circumstances, then this book is for you. In his always winsome way, Jonathan shows you what the Bible has to say about everything you need for a lasting, fulfilling identity, one that is found outside of you and in Christ. The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ, from Reformation Heritage Books, Glorifying God and Strengthening His Church. Visit heritagebooks.org. That's heritagebooks.org.